Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on spiritual warfare. I started a new series last week uh, on spiritual warfare. And uh, last week, if you missed that, I, w- I really would encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Uh, I think this is going to be a very helpful, uh, transforming uh series, if you will. About seven weeks, we'll stay in it. But last week, we kind of laid out some overview of spiritual warfare. What I'm going to talk about today is absolutely essential and crucial. Everything else going forward will hinge really on the weightiness of this message here. Next week, I'm going to talk about overcoming chemical dependence. That hits every family. The week after that, we're going to talk about overcoming depression. Oh, And if you look at the stats and numbers as a result of even uh, what has happened with the COVID shutdown and everything, there is such heightened numbers right now with depression and people are freaking out. And so, Andrew, this is going to help all of us. And we'll be building on this series every week, right? Overcoming sexual strongholds, overcoming a variety of things. We want to see our people free and uh, really uh, fired up to walk with Jesus. So uh, let's pray, let's open our hearts, and let's dive into uh, today's conversation. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just uh, an incredible time of worship. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the people in this room right now. I pray that in Jesus' name you would minister to them in a great way. Lord, all of our friends that would be watching online right now, I pray that their hearts would be open uh, Lord, just to the truth of God's word and to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I just pray that you would speak and minister like only you can. Lord, I need you. I, I'm desperate for you. And so, uh, again, we just thank you for being with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to look back last week briefly at some of the things we discussed that's going to help us build on where we're going. Made this observation and statement last week that Satan will try and deceive you any way he can, and he will try to convince you that the winner of the game is still undecided. God has already won. Jesus is alive. Jesus is resurrected uh, from the dead, and God has declared himself winner. And so we establish that, that God's power in us is greater than anything we'll ever face outside of us because God wins. And the hope of the gospel is Christ in me, me in Christ. I mean, that's the hope that we have to live every day, right? And so uh, Satan has no authority over you. You are not doomed for destruction Greater is he who lives inside of us than he who lives in, uh, in this world. And so God will always be greater. God declares us in Romans 8 that we're more than conquerors, which means through Jesus we overcome. Now we have to know our identity in Christ, and one of the things that we have to choose to do is not to empower the voice of hell, but we have to learn daily throughout the day to empower the voice of truth. Now, if you got your Bibles, if you're on the Version app, whatever you're using, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. And, and, and what's so crazy uh, about this passage I'm going to get to, Revelation 12, is I remember right after I got saved, and the guy that mentored me, my buddy Walter, he goes, hey man, you need to get a birthday verse. And I'll never forget this. And I'm like, how do you get a birthday verse? verse. 
He goes, when's your birthday? And I said, December 11th. He goes, find you a birthday verse of 1211. 1211. So 1211 here became my birthday verse. I'll, I'll close with it as I read 7 through 11 here in Revelation 12. But this is essential, and everything that we teach over the next few weeks is going to hinge on us being overcomers, okay? Starting in verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels were waging war with the dragon. All right, so when you study scripture, there's three angels kind of given specific names, if you will. Every time Michael shows up, he is the angel of war. He is a warrior. He is a bad dude, okay? Every time Gabriel showed up, he was bringing a word. He was a messenger. Then the third angel mentioned is Lucifer, Satan, okay? And he was in charge of worship but rebelled against God. There was this war going on in heaven. John is on the Isle of Patmos, John the Beloved, the one who would write the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John Revelation. And God gives him this revelation of really what's going on. It says, Satan and his angels waged war. Waged war against who? Against Michael and his angels and against God. Then it says that Satan and his angels were not strong enough. The great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. He deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth with his angels. Who wins? God wins. Okay, that's the declaration. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, and now the power, and now the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down he who accuses, he who makes accusation against the saints, the day and night, as he, he, as he comes to God, he's trying to accuse us. I want to break that down. But he, he's been thrown down. He's been defeated. Okay? 1211, my birthday verse. And they overcame him. How did they overcome him? Through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, which means they would not renounce or denounce their faith even when faced with death. All of that verse. So here's, here's what you got to know. The powers of darkness are real and can be extremely destructive. The powers of darkness are hell-bent on undermining God's voice and authority any way they can. That's the world in which we live. The game has been decided. God wins, but there's battles every day, and we have to know that the enemy, every demon in hell, is coming against you to knock you down, to rip you off, to ruin your life. Now, this is so cool. The scripture refers to Satan, the enemy, as the accuser of the brethren. You, you need to know this. The word accuse in the Greek is the word kategoria, and it's where we get the English word categorize from. 
Here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to put labels on you. He wants to categorize you. You're fat, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're no good. Whatever the label is, anytime you see a person making accusations against another person, they're listening to the voice of hell because Satan's agenda is to accuse, to attack, to label. Now, I've mentioned this in weeks past, but you gotta hear it. The word accuse, accusation, categoria, categorize, is where denominations come from. The enemy wants to categorize you. As soon as you say, I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Methodist, what you're doing is you're embracing a label. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he goes, Father, my prayer is that those who have repented and come to faith, that they would be one as you and I are one. Even Paul would write in Ephesians 4, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. One of the greatest ploys of the enemy is to get us to own or think that we belong to a category. We belong to Jesus only. The word denomination comes from the Latin word denonymous, which means to divide the nation. So the accuser is putting labels on us. The accuser wants to separate us. The, the accuser wants to box us in. I got good news for you. He's been thrown down, body slammed by Michael and the angels, beaten. And he knows that his time is limited and his voice is limited. And he ultimately knows that he will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, here's the thing we cannot do. We cannot close our eyes and be blind or ignorant to the demonic activity that is around us. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. There's these powers and principalities of darkness right now, Tammy, that are coming against all of us. And as a result of that, just some observations. Governments right now are controlling and killing their own people just so that they can maintain power. Shootings have become the norm. FedEx, Indianapolis this week. There's stories every day. Knoxville, Tennessee, school. Every day, every week, shootings have become the norm because there's so much demonic activity and life is not valued. It's not valued. Sex trafficking has become widespread. The perversion and the destruction of what we're seeing is brutal. People go hungry while those in power continue to live in extravagance. You look at India and some of the things throughout the world and people are mining dumpsters to try to find just a crumb to eat. But yet people in prominent positions are living in extravagance while their neighbor has nothing to eat. And there seems to be very little compassion today for people who are underprivileged and knocked down. And the thing I would tell you is demonic activity is all around us. And even Jesus said, Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take us he wants to take us down. But the one thing I believe he's attempting to do right now, as great as ever as I've seen it, is to blind the eye of the believer so that they do not engage in culture of what's happening right now. 
we've got to be strong, and we've got to be able to overcome him. So the question would be posed, how do we overcome Satan? How do we overcome the demons of hell? How do we overcome the opposition, if you will? They overcame him, one, by the blood of the lamb. Leviticus 17.11 says that the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your sin. Here's, Here's the truth. Blood represents life. Without blood, you cannot live. The very essence of who we are is dependent upon how clean and strong our blood is. But when you look at the Old Testament, the shedding of blood represented atonement for sin. When you look at the Old Testament, It was the shedding of blood. Even if you go back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve jacked it up in sin, and they tried to cover their their shame with fig leaves, God had to provide an animal sacrifice through the shed blood of an animal to atone for their sin. So why was uh, a blood offering uh, needed? Why, Why is it needed today for us? Because each and every one of us are born into the world as sinners, separated, alienated, and distant from God. When you're born into the world, you're born a little sinner. And because of sin, sin has to be dealt with. And God knows that the only way to bring life to death is through blood. It's powerful. So many denominations today and so many churches today will not preach on the blood of Christ. They will not sing songs about the blood of Christ for the fear of offending someone. Can I tell you something? The gospel of Jesus Christ hinges on the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross. If you got a little old school in you, there's power in the blood. Wonder working power. There's nothing but the blood. They can wash my sin away. So today we're going to establish the power of the blood. We're born sinners. Isaiah 59.2 says, it is your sins that have cut you off from God. And because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. What separates, what alienates us from God? Our sin. We're born into the world Sinners. That's the reason he says a person who does not repent and surrender, he doesn't hear our prayers. You'll hear people oftentimes say that are pagans, lost, alienated from God. I'm praying for you. Praying to who? We must be saved. We must be born again. We must be brought back to God. And he goes, hey, your sins cut you off. But listen to me. And please memorize this. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we can have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. How do we have fellowship with God? How do we have fellowship with one another? By being under the blood and choosing to walk in the light of the gospel. Verse 9 says, if we confess, 
our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us once and for all from all unrighteousness. I need the blood. My essence of walking in freedom and wholeness and victory every day depends on the blood. And I will tell you throughout our conversation today, there is power in the blood. The gospel of grace was written with the most precious commodity ever known to man, the blood of Jesus Christ. The most precious commodity ever known to mankind is the blood of Jesus Christ. No blood means no salvation, no redemption, no forgiveness, no hope. There is no gospel without the blood of Jesus Christ. We needed to be atoned for. We needed to be redeemed. We needed to be set free. And if you remember that night before Jesus would face the cross, that night when he was with his disciples having that farewell supper, that, that final meal, if you will, on the night before he was crucified, Jesus said, this cup, remember he had poured the wine into the cup. They had the bread. He goes, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus established the new covenant with his blood. I'll look at the old covenant here in a second. But the new covenant was inaugurated through the shed blood of Jesus. And it allows us now to be brought into a relationship with a triune God so that we can know the Father, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and have a personal relationship with Christ because of the blood. And praise God, because of the blood, we receive a life that death cannot conquer. Man, I'm so thankful. So what did the blood of Jesus accomplish? This is going to be a teaching here for a bit for you. Come on, you need this, I need this, but I've spent a lot of time this last few weeks just looking at what did the blood of Jesus Christ ultimately accomplish. One, Jesus' blood removed the power of sin and it cleanses you from all sin. Hebrews chapter 9 says that according to the law, Old Testament, Old Covenant, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. All things are made clean with blood. But without the shedding of blood, there is zero forgiveness. It says Jesus appeared once and for all to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. So sin is no longer covered up by the annual sacrifice that the Jews participated in called Passover. Every year, they would make their way toward Jerusalem to Passover outside the temple. Many would bring their own unblemished lamb or whatever. For some, they would buy it when they got there, but they knew that they had to sacrifice this animal, and it was through the shed blood of the animal, it would atone or cover their sin for a year. And that blood would flow down through the Kidron Valley, outside of the temple, and to the river, the Kidron River there, 
And it was a bloody mess. But when people saw it, they recognized that that blood flowing right there is what cleanses us or gives us a one-year pass before God. So under the Old Testament, they brought this lamb, if you will, animal lamb, and it made atonement for a year. When Jesus says, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, it was removed once and for all, not an annual sacrifice. Jesus became... Your payment once and for all. My payment once and for all. We don't have to run back to the the temple every year. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, I am clean, I am holy, and I am atoned for forever. Man, I don't have to jump through all those hoops, Dave. So here's what I want you to, to totally get. Sin was abolished, smashed, abolished. Sin was done away with once and for all and for all people. Sin was our old master. Sin used to call the shots. Sin had control over us. But sin has been paid for in full by the shed blood of Jesus. The power, you've got to know this, the power of sin, the strong grip of sin has been defeated. The penalty for sin, you're going to die and we deserve damnation and separation. The penalty has been dealt with. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. We owed a price that we could not pay, and Jesus paid it. Oh, blood. So here's the reality, Rusty. Even though the power, the grip of sin dealt with penalty, the presence of sin is still around us, but it's lost its power, and the penalty is not there. And so for the believer, for the believer, If we could ever get our minds wrapped around this, sin, the power, the penalty has been destroyed, demolished, taken away. And if we could ever get our minds wrapped around this, that we don't have as believers a sin problem, we have a surrender problem. I don't have a sin problem because sin has been dealt with once and for all. And people will say, man, I just struggle with sin. Why? It's been dealt with. It's been paid for. It's been abolished, demolished, destroyed by Jesus' blood. If you get the blood, it starts it start to change you. So, so here's what I want you to do today. I, I want every person that claims the name of Jesus, that says, I've repented, I've received Christ as my Savior and Lord. I want every person that claims to be a follower of Jesus. So I, I want you to take communion today. I do want you to do introspection. Lord, check my heart. But when you take communion today, as you receive it, I want you to tell your problems about the blood of Jesus. Just tell your problems how inferior. Because one of the problems even amongst evangelicals, and I've said it, is that we spend so much time telling God how big our problems are instead of telling our problems how big our God is. I want you to take communion today. And as you take it, I want you to just, whatever issue, whatever problem, whatever stronghold, whatever bondage, whatever seems to be an issue in your life, receive 
communion and go, the blood of Jesus is stronger than you. The blood of Jesus conquers you. Man, there's so much power in the blood. And I can tell you, hallelujah, I can, I can rejoice today knowing that my sin history has been dealt with. My sin history has been wiped clean. My, my sin history has been done away with once and for all. Hey, memorize Romans 8.1. Come on, put this one in your heart. Allow this to become one of those rhema statements in you. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now for those in Christ Jesus no condemnation. Come on, sister. There's no condemnation. I'm in Christ. The enemy may try to accuse me, condemn me, and label me. But, but, he, but he can't. I'm under the blood. And I, and I can tell you this, that even when you jack things up, even when you occasionally slip into sin, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And the Holy Spirit in you will convict you. And this is what you will hear even when you jack it up. Hey, you are the righteousness of God. Not based on your behavior, but based on the shed blood of Jesus that covers you. So, Rusty, when we jack it up, man, I look and I go, the Holy Spirit goes, Gash, you're the righteousness of God, bro. Ah, I don't want to live in sin. I want to walk with the Lord. I memorized like 1 John chapter 1, part of chapter 2. And I remember when I challenged people years ago when I was teaching through 1 John, I said, Man, I want you to memorize 1 John chapter 1 over the next five weeks. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. You guys might have been in here, Alan. But I challenged our people on a Sunday. And that Tuesday morning, uh, Hannah came upstairs and Barb, uh, Barb goes, look, she, she wants to share something with you. And she quoted the first 10 verses of 1 John. That, that, that's how many verses there. And I was like, look at you. We got to know the word, baby girl. Come on. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He goes, hey, I already quoted 1 John 1, 7 and 9. He goes, hey, my dear children. I'm writing to you so that you do not sin. I'm writing to you to let you know that you do not have to sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a mediator, a lawyer between you and the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the propitiation for your sin, and not only for your sin, but for the sin of the world. So hey, even if you do screw it up, even if you do fall into a sin, I got good news. There's an advocate. There's a mediator. There's a lawyer between you and God. Come on, somebody. I can tell you today, I'm about to get fired up up in here, but I can tell you today, the power of sin removed, and I have been cleansed through the shed blood. Now, now here's a huge thing. You've got to understand Jewish history, uh, again, some of the Old Testament teaching here, but Jesus' blood purchased your redemption once and for all. That's why even Peter would write, 1 Peter 1, you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold and silver. Gold and silver did not redeem you from your 
futile way of life that you inherited from that Adamic nature, that Adam nature when you were born into the world. That, that, that's not what redeemed you. But you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus. I'm like, what redeemed you? The blood of Jesus. So we're all born into the world, slaves to sin, given. We are all born into the world, a prisoner of our selfish desires. We're born into the world because our nature is sin. It's almost like, time we're programmed just to screw up. That's the way we were born. Our natural desires, based on the sin nature that existed inside of us, would lead us to ruin and destruction. And that's what we were, Sam. We were all born jacked up, selfish. But, good news for you, you've been redeemed and you've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, the spotless, pure blood of the Lamb. And when he purchased you, this is, this is an absolute breakthrough uh, freedom thought. When he purchased you, he now looks at you and says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, come on, creation. The old is gone, behold, all things have become new. And if we could ever get our minds wrapped around this, I've been purchased through the blood of Christ. I am a new creation. And new implies that I'm not a better version of what I used to be. I'm becoming a new version of what I've never been. Because of the Holy Spirit, Jeff, that resides within sight of us. I have people tell me at times, well, man, I just, I, I just want to get better. I don't want to get better. I want to get new. He didn't take bad things and make it good. He, talk, he took lost things and made it found and new. And if I can get there and live there every day, man, I have been redeemed. And, and, and if we could really just get there to go, even when I make mistakes and even when I jack things up, Satan, you have no authority over me. Your voice is not going to have the final say. I'm just telling you right now, when you start to come against me and try to bring up my past and play the role of an archaeologist telling me how bad I sucked yesterday, I rebuke you in Jesus' name because I am under the blood and what will you do with that? We got to learn to start rebuking the enemy when he starts telling us lies. And we don't have to listen to him. We don't have to. Here, here's another one. Jesus' blood offers complete forgiveness, and it reconciles me to God once and for all. Complete. Ephesians 2.13, it's all these blood passages, guys. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once upon a time were far off, you who were lost, you have been brought near through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, you who used to be way off, you who were under the enemy's control, you, you who were living out there in the enemy's camp, remember that? Remember when you were lost? Remember when you were hell-bent on having your own way? Remember when you couldn't do anything to save yourself and bridge the gap? Remember when you tried to fix you at times and it didn't work? 
Remember when you wanted to call it quits? Remember when you wanted to tap out? Remember when you were just, I'd be better off dead? You, you, You remember that? Yeah, the devil's been talking. Hey, you've been atoned for. Atoned, literally, from a biblical standpoint, means Jesus was the ultimate payment. I have been atoned. The price that I could not pay has been paid in full, again, by the most precious commodity known to human, humankind. I have been reconciled, meaning God has now brought me back to what I was intended to be before I was lost. Hey, you've been bought. You've been rescued. And salvation is not something you earn. It's a free gift, and it was accomplished on the cross. I was reading the message. Eugene Peterson wrote uh, kind of a paraphrase, his own overview, if you will, of Scripture, and it's it's called the message. But Colossians 2.13, it says, when you were stuck, come on, people in this room right now are stuck. People in this room have been stuck in the past. When you were stuck in your old dead Uh, sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. You couldn't come to God. You couldn't respond to God. But God brought you to life right along with Christ, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant has been canceled out and nailed to the cross. We were all dead. We were all at once upon a time stuck in a sin-driven life. And again, we can't do anything to save ourselves, to fix ourselves, etc. When I start to realize that all of my sin, past, present, and future, has been nailed to the cross, and that God looks at me and says, do you not realize that I've wiped the slate clean? I'm not going to hold your future debt against you. To Tetelestai paid in full. Debt completely erased. You don't owe anything. I'm like, if we could really get our minds there, what would it do? And I like what Paul wrote in Romans 4. Like, if we really got that, he goes, rejoice those who have been forgiven. Rejoice those whose sins are put out of sight. Rejoice those whose record The Lord has cleared of sin. Rejoice. Shout to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Praise the Lord. You want to know what to do going down the road when you feel like just overwhelmed and when you feel like the enemy is attacking you and you feel like somebody cut you off just to tick you off? Just stop. Shout to the Lord, man, my sins are forgiven. My slate is clean. I'm peering God's eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation, deliverance, freedom. Thank you. Man, there's so much power in praise. And one of the things I would encourage you to do, take what we're talking about and start using it as praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I was dead. Thank you that I was lost. Thank you that I was so disturbed. Last thing, under this blood piece. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me. The blood of Jesus sets me apart. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we can find mercy and help in time of need. Lord, let us draw near to the throne with confidence 
Why? Because the shed blood of Jesus allows us to go right to God. We don't need some priest. We don't need a confessional booth. We've got a great high priest in Jesus that says, come to me, talk to me, struggle with me, let me speak into you. Man, we don't have to go through all these religious hoops because of the high priest, Jesus, that intercedes for us. They overcame him. If you're going to overcome the voice of hell and the attacks of hell, you're only going to do it through the shed blood of Jesus. And then it says, they overcame him through the word of their testimony. Come on. What's a testimony? A testimony is a declaration of what God has personally done in your life. A testimony implies that you have been through tests, but God brought you through them. When you couldn't save yourself, fix yourself, restore yourself, redeem yourself, a testimony is, look at what God has done in my life. I will tell you what a testimony is not. A testimony is not cultural, clever cliches. What do you mean? Hey, God is good and all the time. That's a cliche. Cliches won't carry you through the turbulent waters. Christianese jargon won't carry you through the turbulent waters. It's only when you have a testimony where you know God saved me, God brought me through, God delivered me. You've got to get specific. Man, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. It says that Satan was overcome by their testimony. Here's what that implies. One, it implies what does my walk look like today? How strong am I in my walk today? Do I have a Christ-centered testimony to share with the world? But here's what we know. Here's what we know. They overcame the enemy because they spoke it. They proclaimed it. They confessed it. They declared their victory story was founded only in the deliverance in Jesus Christ. Again, God has not called us to be secret agents in this world. There's too many people who say, well, I, I, I just don't feel like that's my call. That's your call. Your call is to overcome the enemy and declare your testimony to the world. In October of 85, the initial deliverance for me, when I had been out with my buddy Tommy that previous Saturday night, hammered, slamming that stinking can of Budweiser down on Interstate 85 as I drove back home, miserable, sick, defeated, and my buddy Jeff was like, are you going to go to church with me? He called me early that Sunday morning. Are you going to go? Yes, I'm going to go. I was miserable. I couldn't change myself. I couldn't stop my foolishness. Man, that preacher shared the, the good news of the gospel, preached the word, gave the invitation, and I fell on my face going, if you don't save me from me, I don't have a, I don't have a chance. If you don't rescue me, if you don't deliver me, I can't clean up my 
language. I can't clean up my thought life. I can't clean up all my chasing. I can't clean up how brutal I am. And I can tell you the work that God started, he's been faithful to perfect it. He started a work in me. And I can go back from 1985 to now and go, God carried me. God, that was God. I shared with you guys on Easter Sunday, sick as a dog, been up all night, had no energy. The stomach bug had wiped me out. I'm like, God, I have nothing to give. And I feel like the only way I was able to show up and proclaim the gospel that day is I was carried. Come on, you've got to have some God story in you. Where has God worked in your life? Where has God broken the chains in your life? Where has God freed you? And we've got to be willing to pro proclaim it to the world. Share it. If we love others, man, you, you just got to hear what God's done in my life. Man, you, you, you knew me back in high school. You knew me back in college. You knew me in my, my first few years when I was in pro ball. You knew how jacked up I was. Man, I got, I got rescued. I got introduced to Jesus. How do you overcome the enemy? Through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the word of your testimony. Roger Cash, you're not who you used to be. God is bringing about a redemption story in you. Share it with the world. Share it with the world. Just in case God is doing a work in you, share it with the world. Pray over those people that you meet. Love on them. People are looking for hope. They're looking for healing. They're looking for direction. They're looking for life. Share it. Share it with the world. And when you start to share your story with others of God's redemptive work in your life, the enemy is going to come against you because he doesn't like it. And he's going to try to discourage you and knock you down. But just tell him you're under the blood. You got to share it. I close you with this. 1211, what a birthday verse. You better get you one. The scripture says they were willing to die for the gospel. They would not renounce their faith. The text says they did not love their life even when faced with death. They were so connected to Jesus and the gospel, they realized that becoming a martyr was a possibility. And if you go back and study church history, man, read Fox's book of martyrs. The first New Testament martyr for standing up for his faith was a guy by the name of Stephen. You can read about him in the book of Acts. And he was stoned to death, but he would not denounce and renounce his faith. You start moving into early church history and you read the stories of people like Polycarp. Polycarp was a strong, outspoken believer, yet they martyred him. They killed him. Even more recently, you read stories about people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer when Hitler and the German Nazi regime came in 
this outspoken proclamator of the gospel. He wouldn't back down. You read stories about people like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint who were taken out by the Aka Indians, killed, but yet his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, would go back to that area and take the gospel where they killed her husband. Let me share with you about a stud of yesterday whose name is William Tyndale. William Tyndale was a stud. If you have Christian books, it may have come from Tyndale Publishing. He had a mission. His mission was he wanted to translate the Bible into English. He wanted to take it from the Latin Vulgate and different translations of that time, and he wanted people to have a copy of Scripture in the English language. He wanted every person, no matter where they were, to have a copy of Scripture. And that was his mission. Tyndale was a reformer. He lived around the same time as Martin Luther, the great reformer there in Germany. And Tyndale stood against many of the teachings of the traditional Catholic Church at that time. And those in higher leadership within the Catholic Church absolutely despised him, hated him, and they wanted him dead. He was a threat to their power, to their system, and control. Listen to the charges that were brought against Tyndale. The charges brought against him were, he believes that faith in Jesus alone justifies. That was a charge against him. He believed that Jesus plus nothing would bring you into a relationship with God. He believed that forgiveness of sin was anchored in the mercy offered in the gospel of Jesus and that that alone was sufficient for salvation. That's what he believed. That's what I believe. He denied the existence of purgatory. That ticked him off. He denied that men should pray to Mary or the saints August 1536, Tyndale was condemned. They said he was a heretic. He was teaching heresy. And he was degraded from the priesthood. And he was delivered over to secular authorities for them to punish him. Friday, October 6, 1536, Tyndale was brought to the cross in the middle of the town square. And they gave him a chance to denounce and recant his faith but he refused. He was then given an opportunity to have one short prayer before he would be executed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Tyndale was then led out to be tied to the stake to which he was choked to death and then his body was burned. Two years later, his prayer was answered when King Henry uh, Henry VIII mandated that a copy of Scripture in English be placed in every church in England. Can I tell you something? Today, you and I benefit and we stand on the shoulders of William Tyndale. 
it was his risk and his fight that we be given a copy of the word of God. And I wanna honor that man's legacy. God was gracious enough to use a man like that. Now, we have copies all over the place. We have them in our living room, in our studies, in our bathrooms. We have them on our phones. You can access the Bible wherever you're at in so many different translations. But again, the rhema of God must be used. We must know it. We must study it. We must read it. We must ponder it. We must hide it in our hearts. There's so many lives that you could read about. But when I was reading about Tyndale, I was like, man, one day when I stand before the Lord and as I celebrate with the saints in glory, that brother is going to be there. And God gave him an assignment and gave him a task, and he was not afraid to die for the gospel. And I think one of the things that can lock us up at times is that we want to hold on to the earthly. God has declared, everything else we talk about hinges here. You're going to overcome the enemy. The only power and strength you have to overcome the enemy is going to be through the blood of Jesus. you got to get saved. You are, you, you've got to allow the, the blood to redeem you and sanctify you and restore you. Secondly, you're going to overcome the enemy through the word of your testimony. And I want to make sure my testimony is strong before the Lord. But that third one right there is where a lot of people, they, 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 they sell out. They throw in the towel. They're afraid they may have to die for their faith. And we don't know what this world is going to look like going forward. But the truth is, even in this room right now, some of us may be persecuted and martyred because of our faith. Count the cost. Stay with it. God is good. And Jesus even said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy your soul, et cetera, and spirit and send it to hell. Come on. You're an overcomer in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.